Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Welcome, friends. Father Frank Pavone here, Director of Priests for Life. Thanks for joining me on Praying for America. That's what we do during this program. We talk about some of the latest political news, things of concern to us who are patriots. We pray over the news. We give you encouragement. We take your prayer intentions. Feel free to leave them on the comments because as we pray for America, a big part of that, of course, is praying for one another. I want to give you some more good news about the midterms. We're all getting very excited as we see all positive signs for us who believe in reclaiming our country, saving our nation. And I want to give you a few more of those positive signs here tonight uh, from from the point of view of information coming out about the economy, some uh, news uh, about some uh, uh, early voting patterns, and also a little bit of lesson from the debates that we've been seeing, these late-breaking debates, of course, you know, a little bit too late after, you know, all kinds of people have voted already, but uh, we know why that, is, why that happens. We're going to comment on all these things, pray about these things. Let's go to Scripture first, as we always do. By the way, at the end of the show, I want to show you a little variation in the uh, the hats that I always put on at the end as I remind you of the words of President Trump about our great uh, movement that we are all involved in to make America great again. But let's go to Jeremiah uh, 31, starting with um, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. For the Lord will ransom Jacob. He will redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord. The grain, the new wine, and the oil, the young of the flocks and herds, they will be like a well-watered garden. The maidens and will dance and be glad, young men and old as well, I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. Let us pray. Lord, we have many reasons for distress and concern. Lord, we discuss those reasons with one another. We pray over those reasons. We see those reasons discussed on many news commentaries and uh, and uh, and podcasts. And Lord, we bring those concerns before you again tonight, concerns for our nation, for our freedom, for the preservation of our values, of our constitutional republic, for our children and grandchildren. But Lord, we also hear your word spoken clearly to us tonight, that any mourning that we have will be turned into joy. Any sorrow that we bear will be transformed into gladness because we have already in our hands and in our hearts your salvation. It was not our own doing. It's not a result of any political calculations. It is your gift in Jesus Christ. So as we pray for America, as we discuss the concerns that we have as patriotic Americans, we also embrace that salvation and the peace and the joy 
that flow from it. May we always embrace it. May we always proclaim it. May we lead our fellow citizens to it so that in the wisdom, in the light of truth that comes from your spirit and in the strength that the joy of salvation brings us, we can find all the strength we need to reclaim this nation, secure our freedom, and make America great again. We ask all this in the mighty name of the only Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, friends. Um, I'm going to go back and forth <clears throat> a couple of times here to the whiteboard. I want to show you, first of all, a couple of statistics that were shared today by our friend Scott Pressler. I know that many of you, of course, know and follow Scott. Let, let me go over here and just show you these numbers. He, he sent out a, a tweet in which um, he talked about early voting results. Um, this is in Florida. Okay, so just Florida results. Just one little sliver of the picture. Um, so vote by mail. So I'm going to put Democrat votes in here uh, by uh, in blue. And this is vote by mail, early voting. Uh, In-person early voting. Again, Democrat numbers. Again, this is just in Florida. And then um, vote by mail and uh, in-person early voting uh, combined. Okay, so the combined numbers, let's put over here. A65400. This is combined. And then let's, let's look at the um, Republican numbers. So then I'm just going to draw one lesson from this that Scott draws for us. So voting by mail... Uh, in uh, early, 633-336. Okay, we know that Republicans tend to favor um, uh, voting on, on uh, election day rather than in person. Here you'll notice something interesting, 262-654. Significantly higher in-person early voting. Uh, and then for a total of 895... 990. In person or by mail combination, you'll notice that the Republicans lead by 30,590 votes so far. Now, this is again in the state of Florida. Why is this important to point out? Because this shouldn't be happening. This is not the normal pattern. The normal pattern is that Democrats lead in early voting. And then Republicans turn out on election day, and if they're going to win a particular state or particular vote, then they soar ahead with all the election day and election night uh, votes. So this is just just one little sliver. Again, not not uh, you know anything obviously uh, final or definitive, but it's an indication. And you know this is what we have to keep in mind when we look at polls. We're all looking at polls. How close are certain key races? It's not. Keep this in mind. It's not any given poll that can predict who's going to win an election. You, you don't want to look at a poll, whether it's results that you like or that you don't like or that make you nervous. You're not going to look at a poll and predict the outcome of an election. 
what 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 you do is that you look at the whole pattern of polling and polling is not the only indication but you look at the whole pattern of momentum that's how you interpret polling and and other factors in an election if you're going to try to get a sense of 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 who's on the winning side you're going to look at where's the movement where's the movement heading to it's like if you're standing at the beach you know a wave might not yet have come up and reached your your feet but you can sure tell by looking out there what kind of momentum a certain wave has right so you're looking for signals of where's the movement where's the momentum and uh certainly we've been seeing of course the polls tightening up when races were you know had the democrat ahead the polls are showing tightening races we see movement surge that is what you have to pay attention to in figuring out where an election is going and here again we see a rather unusual sign uh, that could bode very well for the ultimate results. Let me go back here and uh, share with you a few things that came across based on the debates. All right. Well, now, first of all, as I mentioned earlier, you know, some of these debates that have been held, especially between certain um, Senate candidates and gubernatorial candidates, way too late in the game. I mean, look at the, this fiasco in, in Pennsylvania. Was it a million people had voted already? And the day after the debate between Fetterman and Oz, apparently one of the trending search questions on, on Google was, uh, how can I change my vote? You know, the people that voted early for Fetterman saying, oh, I made a mistake. I made a mistake. Yeah. Unfortunately, they can't change their vote, but this is this is the problem. First of all, this is one of the drawbacks of early voting. Now, again, there are arguments on both sides about early voting, and I understand both sides of, of those arguments. I myself vote on Election Day. But we've got to make, make, take advantage of the fact that people are voting already to make sure they have the right information and also take advantage of the fact that if you know voters, they know how they're going to vote, you, know, you can encourage them each day to get to the polls. Uh, if they want to. Uh, otherwise, if they want to vote on Election Day, great. But it's one of the drawbacks of voting early if you haven't even heard the candidates debate. Because certain things come out in a debate. A debate is not going to necessarily cause a candidate to win an election, but it can certainly cause them to lose one. And, and you know, somebody just, uh, well... What was on display in Pennsylvania really made a lot of people feel like, hey, listen, I wish no ill health on anybody, but but Mr. Fetterman obviously is, is having a hard time here. Uh, if if you have a hard time articulating your your position in a in a candidate debate, how are you going to function day in and day out in the United States Senate? It's a fair question. No matter what side of the aisle you're on, you don't want to put people in a in a in a a in an impossible situation for them personally, but b in a way that they're not going to be adequately serving the people. Again, there's no ill will here. Uh, it's just a question of okay, you're asking for me to put you in a position of tremendous responsibility for a lot of people, and not only for a lot of people in Pennsylvania, but for the uh, the direction of the whole nation. As we were indicating the other day, it's not about the candidates as much as it is about the balance of power in the entire United States Congress, House and Senate, in the direction, therefore, that the country will go. We have to keep that big picture in mind. 
remind voters of it continuously. If they have somebody expressing concerns about Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania or concerns about um, Masters in Arizona or, or, or any of the other candidates anywhere else for Senate, you say, well, wait a minute. If the Republican gets in, that's a shift in the whole control of the Senate, control of the committees, what legislation gets voted on, what all the other 50 senators can do. It's not just about that candidate, not just about that race, not just about that state. Keep reminding the voters about that in these final days. Uh, I deal with the abortion issue full time. As you know, Priest for Life is one of the largest pro-life groups in the world. And uh, so we're looking especially at what these candidates said in these debates about abortion. And I tell you, I am very, very pleased to see the kinds of questions that are being asked even by the fake news media. They're asking on abortion, they're asking these Democrat candidates, by and large, the right question. It's a question we've been urging media people to ask for decades And now finally, we've gotten to the point where it's become a very common question. It was even asked of Biden the other day. And the question very simply is, are there any restrictions on abortion that you would be in favor of? Any at all? Any restrictions at all? No, it shouldn't be after six months, for example. Or it shouldn't be for the purpose of sex selection. Or it shouldn't be allowed if you just are, you know, want to have the baby for, you know, want to have the baby aborted for racial reasons. Are there any restrictions, regulations, or limitations at all that you would be in favor of? And it is the exception, rather than the rule, that these Democrat candidates can even answer that question in any meaningful way whatsoever. So when Fetterman, who was asked his stance on abortion, he said, Roe v. Wade for me. It should be the law. He pointing to Dr. Oz, celebrated when Roe v. Wade went down. And my campaign would fight for Roe v. Wade if given the opportunity to codify it into law. You know, I, you got to wonder how many of these candidates and their their strategists and their advisors even know the history of Roe v. Wade. I don't think they do at all. And here's what I mean. The Supreme Court itself dismantled Roe v. Wade long before the 2022 Dobbs decision. You get what I'm saying? Let me go back over to the board, because I just want you to understand this for the sake of the discussions you might be in with some of your fellow voters. The Democrats love this phrase, we want to codify Roe v. Wade. And what they're what they're taking advantage of there is that most of the American people do not understand what Roe v. Wade actually said. Okay. And they don't understand it from two different perspectives. But but what I want to point out here is, first of all, you know, they're saying, oh, well, you know, uh, uh, we want to codify Roe v. Wade. All right, when you look at what Roe v. Wade said, it was the court acting as a legislature. My friends, you know it well, but we can never tire of repeating it. Courts don't make laws. They don't. That's not what courts are there to do. Courts decide disputes. 
People have a dispute between one another. Citizens have a dispute. You go into a court. My rights have been violated by this person or by the government. You go into court to resolve the dispute. The court is there to resolve cases, not to make laws. However, in Roe v. Wade, the court made law on abortion, and they had, I'm not going to go into, it would take the whole night, I'm not going to go into detail here, but they had a trimester framework. They looked at the pregnancy in the first three months, the second three months, the third three months, and they laid out all kinds of rules as to what the state could do vis-a-vis the abortion decision in the first three months, what they could and couldn't do in the second three months, in terms of, again, regulations or restrictions, what they could and couldn't do in the third three months. Okay, so they laid out this whole framework. Again, that's not what a court is supposed to be doing. That's what a legislature might do after they have hearings and debates and they get information, right? So it was like they were writing a law. Here's the point I want to make. That was in 1973. In 1992... The Supreme Court issued a decision, the Casey decision, okay, in which they threw out the trimester framework. They threw it out the window. They said, this doesn't work anymore. This doesn't apply. The rules that Roe v. Wade said, we don't, we don't agree with that anymore. And they introduced a whole new standard. We won't go into the details of that, but the point is that the Supreme Court itself Long before the 2022 uh, 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 Dobbs decision, in fact, 30 years before, dismantled Roe v. Wade. They left the core holding of it standing up. Yeah, abortion is still legal. So when these Democrats say, oh, we want to codify Roe v. Wade, we have to ask, well, what in the world are you talking about? Are you talking about resurrecting the trimester framework? Because that's in Roe v. Wade. Are you forgetting that that was dismantled already? Do you mean you want to codify Casey and the standard that it gave for how states can regulate abortion? Or do you literally want to go back to this original framework that the court said 30 years ago was obsolete and unworkable? And the answer is they don't know what they're talking about. They just don't know. Let me uh, go back to the chair here and and, and I want to read for you a quote from Roe v. Wade that I think they also don't know about. The court said in the Roe v. Wade decision that those who were in favor of abortion and therefore against the Texas law that was prohibiting it, and let me quote exactly, they argue that the woman's right is absolute and that she is entitled to terminate her pregnancy at whatever time, in whatever way, and for whatever reason she alone chooses. Does that sound familiar to you? It should, because that's exactly what the Democrats are saying. That's what the party is saying. That's what the president is saying. That's what Pelosi is saying. That's what just about all these candidates are saying on the Democrat side of the aisle. They could take these very words and say, oh, yeah, this is what she said. She is, her right is absolute. She can end her pregnancy anytime for any reason she chooses. Now, listen to what Roe v. Wade said. With this, we do not agree. Oh, what? Remember, you want to codify Roe. What? What'd you say? 
With this we do not agree. With this we do not agree. Listen up, candidates. Listen up, Pelosi. Listen up, Biden. Listen up, Fetterman. Listen up, all of you. With this, we do not agree. The arguments that Texas either has no valid interest at all in regulating the abortion decision or no interest strong enough to support any limitation upon the woman's role are unpersuasive. Listen up, Democrats. Unpersuasive. That's Roe v. Wade talking. Roe v. Wade. Not Dobbs. Not the Republicans. Not the pro-life movement. Not Trump. Not your Republican opponent. That's Roe v. Wade talking. You know, they don't know what they're talking about, friends. They really don't. It goes on to say, court decisions recognizing a right of privacy also acknowledge that some state regulation in areas protected by that right is appropriate. As noted above, a state may properly assert important interests in safeguarding health, in maintaining medical standards, and, listen to this, in protecting potential life. They're talking about the life in the womb. This is Roe v. Wade speaking. Oh, we want to codify Roe. We want to codify Roe. They're talking like they know what they're talking about, and they don't know what they're talking about. You need to know this. You say the next time your, your friends say, oh, I'm voting for so-and-so because he wants to codify Roe. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? They don't even know what it means. Roe v. Wade does not agree that abortion is an absolute right. Roe v. Wade recognizes that the state has reasons why it may want to protect that life in the womb. And you know what? That's exactly what the Dobbs decision allowed. The Dobbs decision didn't take away the right to choose. The Dobbs decision didn't make abortion illegal. The Dobbs decision said, you, the people, can decide through your lawmakers. Don't get the courts making law. The courts are not supposed to make law. The legislators made law. And on the position of how many rights the baby in the womb has or how much that baby should be protected, you know what the Dobbs decision said? We don't have any opinion on that. You listen to the way Biden talks, you listen to the way these Democrat candidates talk, you would think that Dobbs came down and you know prohibited every abortion on the, uh, imaginable. They did no such thing. So don't let your, your friends get away with saying that on the one hand, they wouldn't introduce any limits on abortion. Don't let these candidates get away with saying on the one hand, they wouldn't introduce any limits on abortion whatsoever. But on the other hand, we want to codify Roe. Nonsense. Go back and study what it is that you're talking about and stop trying to fool the people. Final point I want to make here, a totally different point. Uh, yesterday, third quarter report came out on the GDP, the gross domestic product. Now, this is one of the measurements of the strength of an economy. We had two consistent negative numbers two consistent, two quarters with, with negative numbers, which is a classic definition of a recession, right? Well, it turns out the number that came out uh, yesterday was positive, plus 2.6%. However, it's important if people bring this up and they say, oh, you see, it's not really so bad. You know, let's keep the Democrats in power. The economy isn't really that bad. A positive number in the third quarter GDP is not going to help the Democrats in the midterms. Why not? 
Well, I'm relying here on an analysis by um, The Economist, prestigious magazine, serious magazine, and um, uh, two factors. First of all, the GDP figures are not based on solid ground. And let me just read from this. Key indicators like housing prices and consumer spending are flagging. Last quarter's growth was fueled by a narrowing trade deficit. That was the key reason for this positive number. Imports fell as consumers continued to shift their spending away from goods and towards services. Meanwhile, exports increased for much of the quarter, thanks in part to record crude oil sales. Um, a better reflection of the underlying economic momentum is sales to domestic private purchasers. They slumped to a growth of only 0.1%, the lowest since the early days of the pandemic. Okay, so, so you know, if you, like me, aren't really uh, familiar with these ins and outs of details of economics, just understand the main point here is that a positive GDP number does not indicate a positive economy by itself, by itself. Secondly, you look at election history and favorable GDP numbers do little to benefit the president's party in midterms. And here's the statistic to keep in mind. You know that since 1950, how many times has it, how many midterm elections have there been when the president's uh, party in the White House gained seats in the House of Representatives in the midterms? It only happened twice when they gained seats in, in, in Congress. It only happened twice, 1998 and 2002. 1998, the country was just dealing with the, the Clinton scandals, okay, the Monica Lewinsky story. 2002, George W. Bush was riding high uh, as a result of uh, all what that was happening surrounding 9-11. So those were the dynamics in place there that caused the pattern to go off track, okay, Third quarter, this is what we just had yesterday, third quarter GDP growth was positive in 15 election cycles during that same period. So 15 election cycles, despite positive GDP numbers in the third quarter just before election day, didn't help the president's party at all. So two perspectives to keep in mind from that. And I say that to you again, just like I said, the other things about, about the abortion is coming up in the debates and whatnot and Roe v. Wade, just to equip you to know some things to say, to bring up in conversation or on social media, or maybe you want to write a letter to the editor or something uh, on these points. All in all, we continue to see tremendously encouraging signs but we've got to work as encouraging as any of these signs might be. Work like you're way behind. Work like crazy. Work like you've never worked before to educate, inform, mobilize, 
voters and get them to the polls for these midterms. Let's pray. Father, we do pray for our economy, for our economic growth. Lord, there are so many factors, some of which we understand, some of which we don't. We just ask you to bless our country and strengthen our strengthen our economy and Lord, help people to realize that things are so going in the wrong direction that that we need change, that we need people who are going to be able to rescue uh, this economy from further collapse. We ask you, Lord, to bless the voters in these races and let them not be deceived by rhetoric. Lord, we talked about uh, this phrase of codifying Roe, and we see, Lord, upon deeper analysis that those who are saying these things really don't know what they're talking about. and They're not making clear what they're talking about. They're just trying to sound good. Give your people wisdom, Lord. Help them to understand what's really going on here and help them to challenge, appropriately challenge, those who are telling them these things. Bless those who have voted already. Bless those who have listened to these debates. Bless those who are preparing to vote. Bless those who are studying their ballot now, as we all should so that when we look at that ba- ballot on election day, we know what we are looking at. We understand who it is that we're voting for. We understand what the amendments might be on the ballot or the, or the uh, referenda, questions being presented to the public, which are sometimes complicated as we read the words on the ballot. We don't know necessarily what it means. Enable your people to take some time to do their homework and come to a good understanding of what it is that we need to decide in that voting booth. Lord, we ask you to hear the prayers of all your people, especially those who have left comments tonight at prayer needs that they have for themselves and their loved ones. Send your spirit, send your help, send your grace, enable your people to serve you in prosperity and freedom. We sum up all our prayers and praises by offering the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Four President Trump rallies coming up before Election Day, and who knows, there may be even more. November 3rd, November 5th and 6th, and then the night before Election Day, November 7th. You know, you can find out the events that President Trump is doing at donaldjtrump.com slash events. That's donaldjtrump.com slash events. But you'll see there are four rallies. You'll see the specific times and places of the president's speech kept up to date on that webpage. Make sure to make plans to tune in I'll be watching along with you, and usually I'm doing live tweeting during those rallies. Speaking of which, make sure you're following me on all the major social media platforms, starting with Truth Social at FR Frank Pavone. That's my address, FR Frank Pavone. And uh, follow Right Side Broadcasting as well, RSB Network. And friends, thank you for all that you do. And I told you earlier about, I'm going to show you something about my hats. So at the end of these programs, I put on the red MAGA hat to remind us of some of the things President Trump always says, but I've got this one ready too. See what this one says? Trump 2024. 
pretty soon he's going to make that announcement. Pretty soon. Might be right after the elections. We don't know exactly when it's be. I don't know if he's decided when it's going to be. But when he announces that he's going to run for the White House, you see the, re- you see the reaction he gets in these rallies when he just teases the idea. You know, we won before. We may just have to do it again. And the crowd goes crazy. So this hat is ready because we're going to be endorsing him immediately as soon as he announces that that run. But remember what he always says. We're part of the greatest political movement in American history. So be encouraged and know that this country doesn't belong to those that are trying to destroy it. Friends, it belongs to you. It belongs to you and me. And we can be confident. The greatest days of America are yet to come. So God bless you. Thanks for joining me. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you on Monday. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.